This is Dylan Wiseman. I'm a shareholder in Buckhalter's San Francisco and Sacramento offices, and I'm also the co-chair of our Trade Secrets and Employment Mobility Practice Group. I've been practicing exclusively in this field for 23 years. This is Sean Casey, and I'm a litigation and transactional attorney with Bookhalter, and have practiced for 24 years in intellectual property law, both as outside and in-house counsel to large and small U.S. and international uh, companies, among others. Jason Goldstein, shareholder of the Irvine Litigation Department. I've been practicing trade secrets for about 15 years and look forward to discussing the issue with all of you. This is Dylan Wiseman, and I'm here with Jason Goldstein and Sean Casey, and we are part of the Buckhalter Employee Mobility Podcast. We're back here in our Orange County office. Excited to see you guys again. Nice to see you too. Welcome back. Great to have you back, Dylan. All right. So today we are talking about leading edge and bleeding edge companies and the if. Uh, trade secret issues that are around those businesses. So uh, we're talking about companies in the biotech, uh, agritech, high-tech fields, you name it. Uh, These cases tend to um, involve the latest, greatest design research. I've handled a lot of biomed cases over the years. So that's the field that we're talking about. And uh, typically what happens is that an employee, an engineer of some type, typically a millennial, uh, leaves and uh, they go to a direct competitor, which they're entitled to do in California. And uh, then the employer has a fair amount of uh, concern about the fact that they might be taking or using information that they have agreed is confidential. So uh, I want to start out with our our first scenario, which is that the employee leaves and uh, there's some evidence that they have actually uh, taken and uploaded some files to uh, a cloud-based storage environment or USB thumb drive or something along those lines. And Jason, you've been down that road several times. Yes. In a situation like that, you're going to have a basis to actually go in to try and get a TRO or preliminary injunction. You actually do have the physical evidence Uh, in electronic form showing what's been done, it's been taken, and you're going to want to be able to take action to be able to stop that information from being used. Once you have the taking and you have it the direct competitor, you do have the basis to go in as long as you have enough documentation to show it. It's a really interesting point because if you have evidence of particularly computer forensics on your side, it's really conclusive about what happened. Uh, We can construct a timetable of what occurred with the particular employee over the last month or so of their employment to see what files they accessed, uh, what sites they visited on the internet, what cloud-based storage they used, uh, what USB devices they used, and we can put together a pretty well, pretty effective timetable. And so on those kind of cases, you have a direct path to get right from um, their departure to a temporary restraining order or a preliminary injunction. The second scenario that we come across is where there's no real evidence of a physical misappropriation. There's no evidence from the forensics that shows that they actually uploaded files to the cloud or loaded files to a USB thumb drive. And the argument that gets made 
a lot is that, well, even though we don't have actual evidence of misappropriation, it's inevitable that the departing employee will disclose or use our trade secret information. And Jason, you've dealt with that on how California addresses that issue. Yes, I have. And uh, the answer to that is uh, California does not follow what's called the inevitable disclosure doctrine, which basically means that you cannot get an injunction under the Trade Secrets Act when you don't have proof that an employee has something and is going to actually or is threatening to use it. Uh, you really are going to have a, a tough uh, road to hoe if you're going to try and go in slowly, solely on the grounds that, well, we believe it's inevitable he's going to use it. You have to have some basis to say that they are going, they have it and they are going to use it or they're going to threaten to use it. And some of that you have to do by really doing some document and uh, buttoning up up front. And maybe, Sean, you could tell us a little bit about that. Well, thanks, Jason. That's absolutely right. You know, one of the things you can do, whether you're a small uh, high technology company or you're a very large company like uh, large aerospace or automotive manufacturers, you can take steps uh, every week or every month or periodically to actually, you know, document your trade secrets, protect them, assign a value for those trade secrets and the like. So, for example, whether you're a large or small company, you can certainly get employee uh, non-disclosure and trade secret acknowledgement agreements when you hire that key employee or regular employee. You can get an exit interview in uh, system in place where they can acknowledge in writing uh, the trade secrets they had access to. And in the meantime, especially in those situations where there's no uh, explicit evidence of an actual taking or a misappropriation when they leave the company, if you've got certain systems in place like monitoring software, making regular backups of things that they've been working on, uh, you know, monitoring websites they visit, these things are not expensive to do. And although you can get very sophisticated and expend a large amount of resources to identify every keystroke and every screenshot that people are uh, are working on during their employee, you can also uh, monitor things at far less cost on a regular basis. So when they do leave, and you do have to assert with some reasonable particularity what it is they had access to and what it is they're most likely to use inevitably, you can have a, a pattern in practice where you can have a, a basically an electronic log of, of most of the things that they touched and uh, had access to, to their, during their employment. Dylan? Yeah, and I think it's important because the standard for protecting trade secrets has got to be reasonable under the circumstances. And if you are the type of high-tech business where there's a lot of investment into the business by uh, venture capital firms uh, and other private private equity firms, they're going to basically require that there's a lot of technical measures around protecting the information. Uh, there are a lot of startups, however, that just don't have those kind of resources or the means or the ability uh, to take those type of efforts. So that it's really important to sit down uh, with your CIO and even HR folks and sit down and try to map out uh, some measures that protect the, the trade secrets um, on uh, from the technical measures and from uh, contractual measures. And uh, for those startups that really don't have all of the capital to put in all the bells and whistles, you can still have this protection if you keep things on a need-to-know basis. As uh, Dylan said, there is kind of a, a sliding scale, and it just has to be reasonable, and that uh, you know whether it's reasonable can be determined by the size of the company and what's done. There's five people there. You don't need to have Fort Knox. Right, exactly. Good point. Um, so... Then the next scenario that comes up is that there's some evidence of um, that files and records have gone missing. There's been a demand that files and records be returned, but they're not. So 
the first scenario is we got a ton of evidence. Second scenario is we have no evidence of a physical taking. Third scenario is there's some evidence, but it looks like there's at least the, the threat that information may be uh, used or misappropriated. And Jason, you've dealt with this issue under California's Uniform Trade Secrets Act. Yes, and in a situation where there's a threatened use, that does provide you with the ability to go in to get a TRO under the Trade Secrets Act. You can't just have this inevitable disclosure, because as we discussed, that's not going to work in California. Uh, You obviously have the blatant of, they're using it, we got them, you're going in on that. But then there's this middle ground of the threatened use, and even that is scary to a company, because once they use it, it could be gone in the public domain, the value could drop, whoever made the money did it then, and sure, you have your unjust enrichment, but the amount of money you could make using it and keeping it secret is so much more. So, threatened use, you can go get them under the Trade Secrets Act. Yeah, and I have to say, if I had to divide this up over the years, I would say a good 70% come into threatened use. And in California, we really don't allow for the inevitable disclosure doctrine, so that's 0%. And the rest of the 30% are the ones that are relatively straightforward. We've got really damning forensics evidence to go in and get an injunction. So once the injunction phase is over with, then there's a requirement under uh, California law that the injured employer, whose trade secret information was uh, allegedly misappropriated, has to identify with reasonable particularity what the trade secrets are before they get to conduct discovery. And the reason why is to prevent uh, one one company from saying, look, uh, we had this guy that left. He went over to your shop two weeks ago. Uh, We filed this lawsuit. We want to know what your trade secrets are because uh, we're curious and we want to go on a fishing expedition. So there's this pretty substantial burden that has to uh, go forward with the uh, with the plaintiff to identify with reasonable particularity their trade secrets. And Jason, you can definitely speak to that on the state level. Yes. Uh, before discovery can be conducted in state court in California, you have to describe the trade secret. And these fishing expeditions do occur. I mean, in, in trade secret cases, you never, well, it's a trade secret because you don't want to show anyone your trade secret. That's how you make your money. That's how you make your business. If someone sues you because you hired a, one of their former employees and They want to uh, do discovery to see what you have, get your customer list, see your formula, see your, you know, high-tech gadgets and how they're made. If they can't describe what they think is taken uh, with reasonable particularity, you can block that discovery and effectively potentially move this towards a settlement posture and and protect all your information. And uh, I believe as we were discussing the other day, sometimes depending on the type of science involved, the burden can be pretty high. I mean, with a customer list, you know, it's pretty easy to kind of describe what that is. But when you're trying to say someone took something that's really high tech, maybe you can talk more about that, Dylan. Yeah. So the standard is that, again, it's sliding scale. And the more technologically advanced the industry, uh, the more um, Star Trek-like the advancements, <laughs> then the more the, the greater the burden to identify with reasonable particularity what are the trade secrets. And so the way this typically works is that it's all done under a protective order because these cases are kind of under lock and key with the courts. So the parties enter into a protective order and then the burden goes to the plaintiff to identify exactly what it is that it claims, not exactly, but with reasonable particularity what it is that was misappropriated. Uh, and 
my, my take on this is the parties are going to get there at some point anyway because the defendant has a right to see it. And so uh, this is likely going to be under the protective order, usually for attorney's eyes only, meaning that only the lawyers and not the clients are going to have access to it. But they'll be able to determine, uh, do these alleged advancements in this Star Trek technology, uh, are they known to those who are learned in the field? And are they uh, well-known out there, or are these just you know, the kind of cases where there are minor incremental advances on fields of knowledge are really, really difficult. I've had a lot of those over the years, and it can get very time-consuming and expensive to identify the, um, the trade secret with reasonable particularity. Yeah, and I've had several of these cases where uh, on, on one side or the other, because we represent plaintiffs and defendants in this. We represent the injured a company that had its information taken and we also represent the company who unfortunately has hired somebody that's been uh, allegedly misappropriated trade secrets and this part of the case can seem to take forever because one side particularly if they know what they're doing can insist that the other side uh, identify with real strong particularity what it is that they claim to be misappropriated uh, particularly in these leading and bleeding edge cases. So, and courts are going to really force them to do that uh, in these um, very strong uh, technical type cases. All right, and that pretty well wraps our discussion on high tech, leading edge, and bleeding edge uh, trade secrets issues. And I really want to thank Jason Goldstein and Sean Casey from our Orange County office. And this has been the Buckhalter Trade Secrets and Employee Mobility Podcast. Please subscribe to us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts.